Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. We're going back to our early podcast days a little bit and uh, going back to real estate. And so we're excited to have with us Ani Rangarajan, who is the COO and one of the co-founders of Reallink. Um, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but I just want to welcome Ani today. So thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, Ani, we have known you for a while here around SATC, and um, it's been really exciting to work with both you and your, uh, your co-founder, Matt Weirich, uh, on your project. And um, we obviously want to talk about that, but I'd like to just take a step back a little bit and talk about your background and kind of where you're from and what brought you to Chicago. Can you share with us about uh, just kind of where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been local for a while now, actually. And by local, I mean from the suburbs of okay. north. So um, yeah, my parents moved here back in 1991. So they were first generation immigrants from India. Uh, it was a big deal in our family just because they were, they were and still are the the only part of our family that left India. And so my dad came over here to, to really, you know, pursue the quote unquote American dream and just do something different from the family business back home. And um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Vernon Hills up north, about an hour north of Chicago here and uh, stayed, stayed around here for a while too. So I went to college in Evanston and Northwestern and then started full time work here in the city. That's when I actually moved downtown into Chicago. So yeah, I'm pretty much through and through a Chicagoan and an Illinoisan. So were you one of those suburban kids saying you were from Chicago when <laughs> you're from Vernon Hills? Just to make it so much easier, it's like, yeah, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me about suburban life as a kid, because I'm from downstate Illinois, so it's even different, you know, from where I grew up. But what was it like, you know, growing up and being educated here in the suburbs? Yeah, yeah, it was a great childhood. Um, yeah, I would say a lot of it being, you know, the the immigrant family, you had mm-hmm. that dynamic of just figuring out societal norms, cultural differences, and I felt like I was I was kind of that guinea pig being the, the first child for my parents, and so we were just figuring things out together, and um, yeah, I think it was a great childhood in terms of being immersed in the culture here, but also staying true to... Indian culture and my parents have always been, you know, big on that in terms of sticking to our roots and, and appreciating that as well. So it was it was great. Um, Vernon Hills was an awesome town to grow up in. Great school, great friends that I still have, and yeah, it was, it was definitely everything I could have asked for. <laughs> yeah, and as far as education goes, um, did you feel like your house was really competitive when it came to school and academics? Were you expected to just? <laughs> do really well all the time yeah I mean we all know certain you know stereotypes and things of that nature especially with with Asian parents I I would say my parents are pretty different in that regard even talking to a lot of other friends from 
similar backgrounds or parents with similar backgrounds, my parents didn't really stress it or make it that strict of an expectation. I think they obviously wanted me to do well and be motivated and all that, but it wasn't, uh, you know, we're going to put you in your room and just study all day kind yeah. of difficult situation by any means. So, yeah, I think I, I always just kind of had a natural drive for things. I, my grandfather is one of my biggest role models, and he did some amazing things back in India and just kind of, again, was self-made and, and did a lot of great things, both business-wise and giving back and all of that. And so I think just that in itself gave me a lot of personal drive and motive. And my parents would always support me, but they never really, you know, push too hard, which yeah. is different from <laughs> a lot of other folks. Yeah, that's good, though. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so why Northwestern? I mean, a lot of people want to go far away for school. Yeah. and As did I. <laughs> yeah, so I had my heart set on going out west for college, for undergrad. Oh, okay. And uh, it was a pretty last-minute change. I'll, I'll go on the podcast and say I'm a total mama's boy. And so I <laughs> uh, had all the paperwork, everything set to go out to California, and then my mom just guilt-tripped me hardcore. I was like, you know, you have your whole life to go wherever you want. You can go to California later, but stick around for another four years and yeah. there are great schools around here and so that was in all honesty the biggest driver of it and but but as I started to go on campus in Northwestern and get to got to know people and talk to people who graduated it obviously is a great school yeah. and a lot of awesome opportunities that that come from it and so yeah I, I stuck around and E-Town was was my home for four years. She's smart because not only did she keep you here for school, but you're still here. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She knew what she I was think doing. She, knew, she yeah. was playing the long game. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the long con, right? <laughs> um, and so I saw you studied uh, economics and some engineering stuff, which is always like yes. <laughs> not at all what I studied. So I'm always <laughs> like, when I see engineering, it's like, okay, well, you're in that field. Um, what What made you decide to study that at Northwestern? Yeah, I mean, that was a classic, I have no idea what I want to do. And uh, my dad was an industrial engineer. Uh, so he was, of course, had had the bias push on that and just talked about different opportunities and, and, and uh, kind of the career trajectory from him doing that. And so, yeah, it was your classic you know, college kid entering school, not knowing exactly what he or she wants to do. And it's like, all right, well, I'll start here and see where it goes but yeah I knew I knew I didn't want to do anything science related um, which is another interesting thing because most engineering of course is pretty heavy on on yeah. science and so that's what further kind of pushed me towards industrial just because it's math heavy and and process heavy and all of that but not science really and so yeah I don't have a great answer don't have like <laughs> a, a passionate reason of why I started in industrial engineering but in hindsight I'm really glad that I did because I frankly didn't know about all of the different business overlap and kind of outcomes that that are related to industrial yeah. engineering, and mm -hmm. so it, it really kind of did open me up into where I am now in, in, in that way. Yeah, and I'm always interested when people talk about, you know, how they decided to study what they did or even when they change majors, you know, how they came about that, because what I was thinking about, oh, okay, you have to take all these certain required classes, and you're like, why do I have to take these, mm. you know, these humanities classes when you're in the sciences or, or in engineering, and you're like, these, I don't need these, but then you do kind of see how, okay, some of these do overlap, and maybe you take a little bit from it, yep. maybe not a whole lot, but I think you can generally learn a little bit from each thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I... 
and I think this goes from most folks, right, is you don't really take away the core content of what you learned in your major, minors, things like that after college, but it's, it's more, like you said, the ways of thinking or different types of thinking, yeah. being able to problem solve in, in different environments, that that's the stuff that I felt was beneficial. And then when you get into really nitty gritty industrial engineering stuff, I've, I of course haven't done anything <laughs> of that nature in many years, so. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, life after school because yeah. um, after you graduated uh, from Northwestern and you have your, your degree in engineering and you're ready to go out there and face the world, what was life like for you then? Um, how did you go about getting your first job then afterwards? Yeah, definitely. I, I was fortunate in that regard in, in many ways. I had a couple internships, uh, freshman and sophomore year mm-hmm. of undergrad, and then my junior year internship was with Accenture uh, Management Consulting Company, which is where I ended up working as my first full-time job. Okay. So uh, yeah, I had a great experience there my junior year, and more than anything, it was the people that, that sold me, right? It, it, it's all about that culture, especially I think as a first job coming out of college, you wanna find people that you enjoy to, to get your feet wet and get immersed. And so, yeah, I got stayed in touch with that team for my internship, and then I interviewed again and ended up at Accenture full-time as, as my first job. So the consulting life is an interesting one. <laughs> it sure is. Um, were you traveling a lot then? Yeah, a decent amount. Not as much as some of my peers. Uh, I, I did have a couple local projects, so I didn't travel, do the Monday to Thursday, you know, flying grind as much as some other folks. But yeah, I did have a few projects that were taking me coast to coast and all around. So it was, yeah, like you said, it's uh, it's not for everyone. You There are a lot of benefits, I'd say, in terms of being able to just see a lot of a lot of things quickly, you know, different businesses, different types of challenges that are similar between a small company and a big one, even though it's the same issue. Uh, so you get to really get a, a crash course on, I think, you know, learning about all of these different business elements. But yeah, it, it's a grind that wears people out. And some people love it, some people thrive on, you know, their statuses and hotel points <laughs> and all that, but right. it also takes a toll on you. But yeah. And so, what did you learn about yourself during that time as far as being not just a, a good employer, but also being a, a good friend or a good, you know, having those relationships outside of work too? How were you able to, to keep those and, and what did you learn about yourself in that time? Yeah, definitely learned a lot in terms of, like you said, time management and kind of prioritization mm-hmm. of whether it was work things, but also family and friends and just being able to kind of keep all the balls in the air, I guess, where, yeah, you, you often are gone for most of the week, and then, you know, Sunday ends up being more of a preparation day to go back on the road, so you kind of have that, that's kind of out the window, so you really need to kind of be able to balance your life and, and what you want to, to use that time with, uh, and so definitely learned a lot there. I was, um, I met my now wife in undergrad, and I'd say that was definitely a learning period for us too, of obviously being in a relationship and trying to balance that with a demanding travel life. So yeah, it was, it was definitely some, some bumps along the way, but it was, it was a good learning period for sure. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the work-life balancing, because I feel like as the millennial generation is kind of coming up and, you know, has to have gone into the workforce that's mm-hmm. been a real focus of 
creating healthier work-life balances where maybe our parents were okay with just working their tails off to provide and to, you know, to set us up well. We're a little more concerned maybe with keeping that work-life balance in check. So did you see that a lot um, when you were going into the workforce and did you talk with that? Did you talk about that with your your coworkers, or how did you see that play out? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's something I'm I think about a decent amount too, because I think it starts to break out into just generational differences mm-hmm. of, you know, like our parents and our parents' parents. The way that people worked was just different, right? Mm-hmm. And you're expected to punch in, you put in your time, and that was just core expectation, whereas now just the way that we work has changed so much that, you know, I can leave here and and jump on a video call on my phone on the way to my Uber, and it's not, it's still being productive, it's still working, but not something that our parents would think is is the standard normal way to work. And so, yeah, I think you're you're spot on. I think the, the flexibility desire for millennials in our generation, I think probably comes out of that is like, hey, I, I've now realized that I have the tools and means and resources to accomplish arguably more, but have a more fluid lifestyle or have the ability to work from anywhere I want and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's more of just kind of the changes with the, the generations and, and adapting to just our abilities to work differently now. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll get back to that a little bit because I want to hear yeah. about your experience working with a co-working space. Yeah. I know that you've had some experience with that, but um, kind of shifting gears into entrepreneurship. And um, I know that you did the consulting thing. And then um, did you have an entrepreneur bug or did did you know that you were going to kind of want to do something on your own eventually? Yeah, I, I did have the bug from undergrad, so I, again, was very fortunate um, in how this kind of came together, but uh, going back to my previous point of just classic college student going into undergrad not knowing what I really want to do, I had signed up for this, uh, they called it the Undergraduate Research Program or something at Northwestern, the Honors Program in Undergraduate Research, and so um, it was me literally just finding this on the Northwestern website. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this seems like a cool opportunity. It's, it's a research program where you get paired up with professors and whatever. So I'll, I'll go ahead and just sign up for it. And I got selected for it and very quickly realized it, is, it was not what I wanted to do at all. It was, you know, paired up with the professor in a lab doing mm. a lot of research. It was very academia and white paper focus and just all the things that really don't make me tick. And so... Um, the professor that I was paired with was nice enough where he was like, hey, Ani, I can tell that this is not something you want to, you know, you're not passionate about this and you don't want to invest your time in it. Tell me what you do want to do. And, uh, you know, that's when I think startups were starting to come out of the woodworks a little bit. And it was more and more people were enamored with the, just the, some of the stories of the early successful startups and all that. And so, I told them I'd love to just be involved in some sort of small business, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. on campus. 
And so he connected me with another professor um, who him and him and two other professors had started a business not too recently on campus. And so it, the company was called Kaimu Solutions. Uh, and the quick, you know, one liner of that company is they're a, basically a sports analytics platform okay. for soccer. And so I got paired on that team as basically my research project <laughs> uh, in lieu of that. And so that was my first real just in the trenches experience. I, of course, wasn't doing that much meaningful work being a, a lowly freshman, but, uh, you know, I, I at least got exposed to the, that sort of environment and the conversations they were having, the decisions they were making. And that was, that was my first just fly on the wall. I'm, I, you know, I, I feel like I could get really excited about something like this. And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of what I carried with me through college. And then even when I started at Accenture, I, I personally always felt like the, the Accenture experience was going to be a stepping stone for me. I wasn't going to be a lifer at that company, but it would allow me to then hopefully one day pursue uh, a startup or be a part of a startup in some way. So, yeah. So what was it about the, the characters or the traits of these guys that you got to work with that you saw that you were like, oh, I could, I could do that. I could be that person or I, I kind of have some of these similar characteristics in myself. I can see that in me that you think is important for, uh, for entrepreneurs or for people who kind of want to blaze a different sort of trail? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the first traits that comes to mind is just the need for problem solving mm -hmm. and uh, just constantly thinking out of the box. Like every day at a startup, right, is, is really not monotonous or the same in any way. There are new challenges, there are new uh, fire drills, and... and it just allows, I think it allows you to constantly just be thinking about how I can push things forward. How can I find better solutions to things? Uh, that's what it really compelled me. You know, even school-wise, I, I did well in school, but I, I never enjoyed the way that we would just, you know, cram for tests and then do, do the tests and yeah. then it's kind of rinse and repeat. And so right. it was just kind of a real-world way where it's constantly moving. It's moving at such a fast pace. And you're you're really forced to just find solutions, find find new ways of approaching things uh, to to move the ship forward. So, yeah, I think just overall that the energy of that environment where you know there's no bad idea. Let's let's work as a team and collaborate to figure out how we're going to take this thing to the next level. Whereas you know at some some you know corporate jobs or at big companies, I feel like you you can end up feeling like you're a cog in this huge system and even though you're putting in the, the work, you're putting in the hours, you, you don't, you may not feel like you're creating as big of an impact as you yeah. personally know you can. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the beauty and the curse of a startup is it, especially in the early days, it's all you, the buck stops with you. So the highs are high, the lows are low, and yeah. you kind of have the full control over where that goes. So kind of starts and stops with you. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, Tell me about how Reallink came to be a thing. Um, I know that yeah. uh, you and Matt Weirich, who, uh, who is also a friend of ours here yeah. at SATC, uh, started this. But tell me how this came to be. Yeah, so I, I met my co-founder Matt at Accenture. So we, we were both based out of the Chicago office here for our first jobs at Accenture. And um, actually didn't have any projects with him or anything, but... We, Accenture has a, uh, basically a first-year cohort at weekend that they do where they bring everyone together in St. Charles. 
uh, and it's just kind of a crash course training event and a way to meet all of the other new hires. And so that's how I met Matt. And uh, it was interesting because, again, we, we didn't have that much interaction in those early days, week to week or month to month. We'd basically see each other at Accenture happy hours and company events like that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we got to just know each other more and talk more. And it would constantly become one of those things where everyone is socializing at a happy hour and Matt and I are just in a corner table by ourselves spitballing different ideas <laughs> back and forth. And it became very clear to me that he had that entrepreneurial passion as well. Uh, he, he had you know done house flipping and things like that at an early age. And so he got that taste of it that way too. And we both were kind of in the same wavelength in terms of wanting to pursue something you know, post Accenture sooner than later. So yeah, yeah, that's when we started to kind of just have those brainstorming sessions on a, in the corner of a room with beers in hand. And, uh, (laughs) he, he brought the idea for real ink out. And so full credit to him. He, he had the idea out of personal pain point, like many other startups and products come to be. So when he was moving from, uh, Indiana to Chicago to start at Accenture, he had to find an apartment right in Chicago and so he spent about seven seven weekends in a row he was still a senior at that point at, at Purdue and he would basically spend every weekend driving from Indiana to Chicago and then just booking the whole weekend full of back-to-back showing so that he could fit as many in and, and see the properties and uh, not only was he spending all that time and money with shuttling back and forth but the other interesting piece of feedback that he brought out was within the first five minutes or so of doing a showing with the with the agent he would find something that he didn't see online it wasn't Mm -hmm. captured on on the photos it wasn't in the description but something came up in that experience in that tour where it's it's like gosh if i knew about this this would have been a deal breaker i would have saved my time i would have saved the the agent's time and so this just kept happening over and over is just such an inefficient wasteful time uh, wasteful process and waste of time and so uh, he he had kind of talked through his experience going through that and the timing I think was was everything because I had just moved from the suburbs from Vernon Hills into the city and even though it was a totally different move it was much more local I had those same issues and then it really started to get me thinking like gosh this is two totally different types of moves but we we had the same challenges and pain points at the end of the day and uh that's when we started to you know talk to more folks about it you know just just kind of pitching this this experience and seeing what sort of problems they had and quickly realized that it's it's something that's affecting a lot of people everywhere whether it's students moving into a dorm whether it's you're you're moving into your first place out of college when you're starting work uh, flash forward to, you know, you have a family and you're, you're moving to places, you're moving into a, a senior community. It, it really impacts the whole spectrum of people that live in, in real estate. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, impacts people anywhere they are, whether it's here, London, Australia, you name yeah. it. So, yeah, we just got to talking and realized more and more that it was a big, big problem in terms of just overall transparency online. And we thought we could we could solve for that. So it's yeah. one of the more stressful things that people will do, <laughs> I think, is to find a place and then move there. Yeah. Regardless of if it's five blocks away or five hundred miles away. It's just it seems like such a stressful process. And I was going through some of your, your videos before and 
full disclosure, I've been pretty familiar with your, your <laughs> company for really since its start, uh, knowing yeah. Matt um, and and actually getting to be in one of the videos yes, <laughs> long you, ago. You were front and center. It was always. <laughs> a promo video. Yeah, yeah. The, the promo video days, it was it was so fun. But I appreciate um, you wearing the Northwestern shirt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was difficult for me. But, you know, anything for you guys. But um, but even when, when I was seeing the platform originally, originally when uh, we were doing the promo videos and kind of, Matt showing me and walking me through, okay, this is what it is, because, of course, I was going to have to use it for the video. And mm-hmm. to seeing it now and, and watching some of the stuff you guys are doing now, I mean, it's come so far even in, in that time. Oh, yeah. I think that it's providing such a great service. Did you guys imagine this is where it would be? Is this like you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, we, we're hiring people, we're mm-hmm. bringing more people on all the time, you know, we've got some help now, and we can, you know, sky's the limit sort of thing, or, or what did you, what did you imagine when you started it? Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, we, we really didn't know what would happen when we started it, we're both first-time founders, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we knew it was going to be a crazy journey, and it has been in, in every way. I think, you know, to your question of, is it what you initially set out it set out for it to be and is it what you expected i'd say the product and the platform has evolved in ways that we had never thought of or imagined at the outset i think the core of what our product enables and what we stand for it has remained the same that probably goes for a lot of companies is you know the the reason you start something and the mission behind it tends to stay true but the ways in which that comes to life evolves and changes based off of feedback and growth and, and, and all that. So for us, you know, it's a video platform just like it was right when we started, mm-hmm. but it's evolved in terms of, for example, when we started, we, we only provided live streaming video tours. Uh, and that was a big genesis for I, our idea was FaceTime had just hit the market around that time. And so Matt had done a, a few of his, his tours over FaceTime. And that was a light bulb moment of, hey, you know, this sort of experience could probably help a lot of people see see places efficiently. Yeah. Um, so when we first launched, and for a while, we only had live streaming tours. But now, for example, the biggest part of Reelink, the most used part of our platform, is our pre-recorded videos. Uh, so that's that's kind of exhibit A, where we got a lot of feedback from our clients, both the properties that use us, as well as the the renters, the prospective renters that experienced it and learned that, you know, people loved the transparent nature of our videos, which is what we set out to do is provide a very real, authentic way to see specific apartments. Um, But at the same time, being able to schedule and connect real time with the live streaming tour is not always ideal because you're still scheduling back and forth and all parties need to join. So that's that. That was kind of the birth of our pre-recorded videos. Is still being able to show the space in that transparent, real way. Hence the name Reallink. <laughs> but um, now you have the flexibility factor where the the leasing teams can create the videos when they have time. They can blast that out. I can send you four different units that I think you'd mm-hmm. be interested in, Nathan. And then you can check that out after work tonight on the weekend and then get back to me in terms of next steps. And so things like that where I think the mechanisms of how we provide the experience and how we enable the video content has evolved. But still the, the core of 
why we exist, which is to allow prospective renters to see the space in a very real, authentic way. That's that's remained true. Um, and yeah, the journey has been nuts in every way. I think you know, for us, if I look back at the last several years, product market fit is something that I immediately would pin as as one of the biggest learnings. Uh, and what I mean by that is, for us, we we knew we had a solution to a problem in real estate, but then to take that and unpack it into what part of real estate, you know, what what sector are we going to focus on? Because as any startup, you have little to no money, and you need to quickly start figuring out where you're going to get traction and mm-hmm. and where things are going to stick. And I think it's easy at that point to be distracted by you know shiny opportunities that may sound great on paper but won't actually pan out or just kind of spread yourself thin and that that kind of was what we experienced a little bit is we would dab a little a little bit with commercial real estate pilots we did some uh, residential single family home tests and and uh, had some clients there and it, it was really when we figured out when we sat down and looked at the metrics looked at the feedback and realized that the apartment space within real estate was where our product is driving the most value for everyone involved. Um, you know, at that point, we decided to really double down on that and focus on on that sector, especially being a small company. And so, I think product market fit is is one of those really important things where mm-hmm. it's really can you can you figure that out before you you still you know have time and you have runway, otherwise you you may may not be able to get there. So yeah, I think that there was a, a lot of those kind of proof points along the way of just figuring it out the hard way and, yeah. and persevering, persevering. And now we're thankfully at a place where we're growing fast. That's awesome. Yep. I mean, you look outside and we're obviously here in Chicago and there are new units going up all yeah. over the place. Yeah, and I mean, you can barely walk a block <laughs> or two without seeing a, a condo going up somewhere. And so when the last time I was looking for an apartment, a new apartment, I was like, there are so many options. Yeah. Just, you could spend a year just looking. Yeah, it's like search uh, fatigue, yep. Yeah, and so what you're saying about, oh, I can send you four different places and you can look at them and, you know, at your leisure and get back to me. That That's just, that to me is, is huge. And it, it really fills a, a gap that, because people say, oh, well, why don't you just use FaceTime? Why don't you just because the the property manager still needs to be there. Someone mm-hmm. has to be there on the other end mm-hmm. to show it to you. Or they can say, okay, well, why don't they just record it? But then it's like, well, uh, one of the features that I I know Reallink has that is really nice is you can take notes on yeah. what you're seeing and ask questions. And, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do on Reallink that it's like, okay, maybe you can do that using your laptop and your phone and your iPad, you know, one to watch the video, one to take notes, one to, mm-hmm. you know, text your future roommate and see, you know, what they think about it. And it's like, you can do all those things in one platform. And I think that's the big difference with Reallink that is really, for me, just has huge opportunity to make this a much easier process, both for the property managers and for potential renters. Yeah. Yeah, could not agree more. I think we get that question all the time, as you can probably imagine, of you know, how is this different from using FaceTime? How is this different from me just taking out my iPhone and recording a video using my camera on my iPhone? And uh, definitely a, a long-winded answer that I won't bore you with the, the whole <laughs> spiel, but I'd say it's really kind of three main 
buckets in terms of how Reelink is different is one, just the ease of use factor, mm -hmm. where with FaceTime, both sides need to have an Apple device. So if you're your renters on an Android phone or if they're on their computer, you can't even kick off FaceTime. Uh, so we make that just very easy where you just get a link, you click it and you watch your video or you join your live tour. Um, and like you said with the notes, we've built out that dashboard with the key features that one would want to have when they're touring apartments and touring real estate. So exactly like you said, you can jot down notes, you can take photos during a live mm -hmm. tour. We have a really nice map feature, which allows the host agent to just show the location and everything that's great about the neighborhood. Uh, it's all saved as well, which is different you know, from FaceTime where it's gone right after and now right. you're left relying on memory. And <laughs> to your point, there's so many apartments available now and being built that people are touring more and more spaces naturally. Yeah. So you end up more and more confused. It's yeah. like, oh gosh, what did I see there? And now we have to go do another showing. And so all of that's just adding to the inefficiency. So yeah, we wanted to create an experience that's that's catered to what you want to have during that. Uh, and then I think the third piece of our company and product evolution that I'm really personally excited about being our head of product is all of the data um, and tracking and, and all of the insights that we do and, and can provide moving forward. Um, so even today, for example, leasing teams, when they use Reelink, if we go back to that example of me sending you four unit videos on Reelink, I, as the leasing agent, will actually know when you're watching specific videos and what you're engaging with. So I know it sounds a little stalkerish, but at the end of the day, it's been very beneficial because now when that person follow, follows up with you, instead of just a generic, hey, Nathan, I'm checking in, wanted to see if you still wanted to lease with us, now I can follow up with you at the right time and have a focused conversation and say, hey, Nathan, I saw you looked at unit 2405 and you watched it a few times today. Do you have any questions about it? Do you want to chat more about it? So again, it just allows them to use that insight to make their process more efficient. Um, and there's a lot more that that's just the tip of the iceberg for us with the data. We want to be able to capture more consumer sentiment during the live tours and during the videos. So picture as you're watching that, you could quickly say, hey, like, hey, I love this kitchen or this bathroom is really a letdown. I'm not gonna lease here solely because of that. Yeah. So being able to capture that sort of feedback from, from prospects as they're touring is, is a huge untapped opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a moment about your sort of relationship with Matt, your, your co-founder yeah. and sort of, cause My guy. I know the both of you and you're pretty different. <laughs> uh, Matt grew up in Indiana and you grew up here in Illinois, which the two states may be very similar, but in Chicago, it's pretty different. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you seem pretty different, but you seem to work together very well as well. Mm -hmm. So what is it about your relationship with Matt that makes this work and, and what was it like how has that progressed, I guess, since the beginning? Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. We're definitely a yin and yang kind of team, very different personalities. And I think it constantly is is to our benefit in terms of just balancing each other out and uh, whether it's how we respond to a, a certain business scenario or outcome or uh, just picking each other's brains on ideas. It, it's great to have someone that thinks differently and, and operates a little differently, has a different personality. I think it, it just brings more to the table to be able to make the best decisions and outcomes possible. Um, so yeah, we've, we've definitely rocked with, with that sort of you know, flow. And 
Uh, I've obviously gotten to know Matt really well. I think him being in Chicago when we started the business was pivotal in terms of the relationship we have today because he's obviously now living in, in Indiana. And even though I don't get to see him in person nearly as much, I think we are, one, just in constant communication every single day, whether it's video calls, phone calls, all of that. But I think more than anything, having that time that we had in Chicago together in the early stages when we, again, like we're, we're wondering what's going on half the time, like, gosh, is, is this something that we still want to keep doing? Having those intimate experiences with someone like that shoulder to shoulder, yeah. it, it just goes so far to build a very strong foundation of relationship. So, yeah, I think just knowing that he's he's always there whether it's physically you know further apart but he you know he's he's there for me to lean on and vice versa is is everything it's crazy to think that two guys can start a company and continue a company from hundreds of miles away and and it works so well yeah it's it's again kind of like we were talking about earlier just that that shifting mold of business and how businesses are operated today our, our team even though we're small we're about 10 people right now uh that's spread out between ukraine indian indianapolis chicago uh virginia so we're we're dispersed already even though we're a small team and that's probably going to stay the case as we grow and yeah i think it's just constant communication now thankfully we have tools like slack you know our team lives on slack i can't imagine our our day-to-day would be so different if we weren't on slack because we we just have a constant real-time communication uh between all of you all of us and yeah, I think being being uh, intentional about team time mm-hmm. is really important too. So, you know, we have our, our team calls on Mondays and, and Fridays, and we try to always get the team together every quarter for an all-hands get-together in person. And I think, yeah, when, when everyone is so spread out like that, prioritizing and, and putting that team time first is very important. Yeah. I want to talk quickly about your experience with, co-working spaces because I know mm-hmm. that your the real real link has utilized them and uh I'm gonna start that again sorry <laughs> no you're good you're good I just didn't know if it was okay. yeah so, um I do want to talk quickly about your experience with co-working space because I know that you guys have utilized that mm-hmm. and uh it's something they're popping up all over the place they're being used a lot more and yet they're always in the headlines for various reasons so what has your experience been like and um how has that changed? Yeah, yeah. I, I've really enjoyed our co-working experiences thus far. Um, our last one that we've been at is WeWork, uh, and so we were at a f- couple other ones before that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess <laughs> to, to plug WeWork a little bit just because it was our last experience, I, I think the way that they bring the community together was was really exceptional in terms of getting to not only know the people that you're working around physically, but, uh, you know, they, they do strategic events and, and happy hours and bring in a speaker and all of it was geared towards things that could apply for startups and businesses of all different industries. And so, uh, I think just being able to bounce ideas off of people in, in those sorts of settings. Cause I think it's, it's tough sometimes, you know, we've been in a co-working space where there were four other companies physically around us, but of course everyone's heads down in their own world. And so you're physically with people, but not actually getting to know them or, or collaborating in any way. But I think having those sorts of events where now you naturally start to 
get to know each other and, and hear about each other's businesses and, and what's going on in each other's worlds. And that's when I think you start to benefit from the, the, the group and, and the group think. So yeah, it's, it's been good. I, I think, especially for the, the young startups who are just getting going, of course, leasing office space is, is a huge expense that you probably can't afford or don't want to pay for. And so it's a way to, to start building more grassroots and a lot of the spaces allow that sort of flexibility where you can start with literally just a, an open desk so a, a membership and you just walk in and out you don't have a dedicated office or anything and as you start to grow you can your your space can grow, grow with you so i think you know 10 years ago for example people would rent and lease a space with the anticipation of adding X amount of people and things like that. And then of course you're kind of putting more pressure on yourself at that point <laughs> to fill out the room, yeah. but this allows you that, that modular sort of way to just grow with, with the reality of your business. So, okay. yeah. Couple last questions for you. I want to know how being an entrepreneur and how having real link has changed you as a person over the years, you know, what's different about Ani now? Hmm. That's a great question. I would say, yeah, one, it's been incredibly humbling <laughs> in terms of just knowing what we can accomplish with as little resources as possible. It's, it's forced us to constantly think creatively and, and find out-of-the-box scrappy solutions to things where I think, again, from a bigger company experience, you, you do have a lot of those resources and you have a lot of the systems and processes, which is I'm not saying is a bad thing, but it, 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 you kind of fall into a certain um, flow and a certain workflow. But yeah, I think just that, that ability to, to now constantly be thinking about how can we accomplish the most with the least, uh, <laughs> that mindset has been 100% because of the Reeling startup journey. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's really just allowed me to start to think about how how people drive any sort of initiative forward. I think you know, it's a common theme we hear a lot is no matter what you're doing, it, it usually ends up boiling down to the people. And mm -hmm. as, as owners of the business, as founders, we're now starting to think about how do we put the right people in place? How do we craft these teams so that we can have a very unified culture and everyone's marching towards the same goal. Uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, people are everything in terms of a successful outcome, whether it's hosting a dinner party, throwing a fundraiser or building a business, you know, it's all about the, the people that make that happen. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really allowed me to kind of take that step back and, and, and think about how every individual and every team impacts the the greater goal yeah that's awesome yep finally we always ask um because you know we love hearing from from leaders and especially i think startups is really cool um for some closing thoughts or advice for young people especially or for really just anyone who might think like oh i have this idea but can i really do this um mm -hmm. so what would you say to someone who who's thinking about starting something, who has an idea, or who just wants to get into entrepreneurship, even if they don't have necessarily the idea, but but they have that same sort of spirit about them, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I'd say a few things come to mind. Um, first and foremost, I would 
say jump in. Um, you know, I think we can kind of paralyze ourselves thinking about all the pros and cons and risk factors and all that, and it makes complete sense rationally when you think about it that way. But again, starting something new, whether it's a startup or anything, it's innately very risky and it's very unknown. And so I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in, in the potential constraints or drawbacks or pitfalls, but I'd say just jump in and do it incrementally. Mm -hmm. So I think you can, especially nowadays with, again, the tools and, and resources we have, you can start to put together the pieces of a business, even while staying full time at whatever you're currently doing and, and start to do a lot of things to just start vetting vetting the opportunity, you know, whether it's getting feedback from people, whether it's creating a very basic, minimal, viable product, an MVP, and getting your friends and family to use it. Mm -hmm. um, just little incremental steps in, that, in those ways where you can start to get more confidence and essentially what you're doing for yourself and eventually for investors is you're, you're de-risking that and you're, you're proving that, okay, this is something worth spending more time on. This is something that's worth investing money in. And so, yeah, I think... That'd be one thing is just jump in, give it, give it, get started, get started in some way and just keep making those incremental moves forward. Um, secondly, I would say ask, ask, ask for help. Um, looking back at our journey, I think one of the most surprising things for me that I didn't really think about going into it is how willing people are to help. Um, we had so many... Uh, coffee meetings and and you know just thirty minute meetings with people that have been there done that and clearly were super busy probably didn't have time in their schedule for us but they made time for us because we just took the step of saying hey you know I love what you're doing would love to just pick your brain over a coffee and I think I was just so surprised that regardless of how high profile or how busy someone was they were willing to yeah. to offer that time and it was always so valuable even if it wasn't the the knowledge or feedback that I went into the meeting thinking about, I would come out with some nugget. I would come out with something super valuable that I would carry with me. So I'd say just ask for help and, and just bounce your ideas off as many people as you can um, because you I think you'd be surprised with how generous and, and willing people are with their time. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing is, is perseverance. I think yeah. <laughs> startup life is just... It, it's invariably going to get rough. It's gonna you're gonna have times where you're just questioning everything. Uh, I think again in those situations, having a co-founder, having a team, is so crucial. So I would highly recommend you know jumping into an endeavor with someone else. Uh, but yeah, just persevering, knowing that you started this for for a good reason, and battling through the lows, you know, is is a key part of that because yeah. once you figure things out which you inev inevitably will then uh, you know you're going to start to see the path open up yeah that's great well Ani I want to thank you for being here today I know as yeah. you mentioned time is our greatest resource and so we appreciate you giving yours uh, we also appreciate our listeners so thank you for listening we do want to let them know where to find Real Link so how can they connect with you guys yeah, you can catch us online on our website, which is reallink.com. So that's R-E-A-L-Y-N-C.com. Uh, you can shout out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, and we'd love to chat with you. It's handle reallink on all those. Yes, it's at reallink app. Great. Yep. All right, thanks again, Ani. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.